Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. Today we're talking about a promising potential treatment for children with genetic short stature who do not have achondroplasia. This new research was presented at ENDO 2022 in Atlanta, and the title of the abstract is A Prospective Clinical Trial of Vasorotide and Selected Genetic Causes of Short Stature. Joining me is an author of that study, Dr. Andrew Dauber, who is the Division Chief of Endocrinology at Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. Thank you for being here, Dr. Dauber. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here today. So what is vasorotide? What is it meant to treat and how does it work? So vasorotide is an analog of a molecule called CNP or C-type natriuretic peptide. CNP is a molecule that targets cells in the growth plate called chondrocytes and helps stimulate them to grow better and make your bones grow longer. The drug vasorotide is an analog that extends the half-life so that the medication can be given once a day. It's given as a daily injection. And it was originally developed to treat uh, children with achondroplasia. And the reason for that is that the pathway that CNP interacts with is directly downstream of the FGFR3 pathway, which is the pathway that has a mutation in achondroplasia. So in achondroplasia, there are mutations that activate the FGFR3, which is the receptor, and that acts as a break on growth at the chondrocytes. And the CNP pathway lifts that break, thereby stimulating growth of those cells and allowing the bones to grow longer. Currently, how is short stature in children without achondroplasia treated, and how effective are those treatments? So in children with other causes of short stature, really the mainstay of treatment right now is growth hormone therapy. Growth hormones approved for a number of indications. So its primary indication is individuals with growth hormone deficiency, mm -hmm. in which case it's a really remarkable therapy for patients who don't make growth hormone. It really you know, helps them grow tremendously better. But then it has also been approved for certain genetic causes of short stature. The primary ones are uh, Noonan syndrome, mutations in the Shox gene, and Turner syndrome. And then it is also approved under an indication called idiopathic short stature, which means that it is, you know, a child who's below a certain height cutoff, and we don't have a specific cause. However, you know, in the last 10 years, we've been doing a lot of work trying to understand the genetic basis of short stature. And a lot more genetic etiologies are being found, which really haven't been studied about whether they potentially benefit from growth hormone. And the response in kids with idiopathic short stature is, I would say, modest for growth hormone therapy. The big studies show that there's an effect of only probably one to two inches on average on final adult height. It is more effective in some of those other approved uh, genetic conditions like Noonan syndrome, Turner syndrome, the Shox mutations. So that would be the other mainstay of treatment right now. And you're here presenting some new research in this area that might be really intriguing. Why don't you tell us, our listeners, a little bit about your study? So my study, again, is looking at the sorotide, which is that CNP analog in children with 
six different potential classes of uh, genetic short stature. So the largest group in our study are individuals with hypochondroplasia, which is also a mutation in the FGFR3 gene, but a milder mutation compared to achondroplasia. And the theory is that this should work similarly to, to achondroplasia, perhaps a bit better. The other is a whole class of disorders called resopathies, of which Noonan syndrome is one. And that's because the pathway that's activated with those mutations in resopathies is exactly the pathway that CNP targets and you know, blocks the effect of and should hopefully alleviate the short stature in that situation. I'm also uh, testing in patients who are missing CNP. Now, that's a very rare disorder, and we haven't actually found any patients with that mm. condition. But we're also looking at patients who have heterozygous mutations in the receptor for CNP, which is encoded by a gene called NPR2. And as I was mentioning, that's one of the more recently discovered genes to be a cause of idiopathic short stature. And it's estimated that up to 1 in 50 kids with idiopathic short stature actually have a mutation in the NPR2 gene. And the idea here is if there's a mutation in one copy of the receptor, the other copy still works fine. But you have, you know, maybe half as much or three quarters or, you know, some decreased amount of signaling through that pathway. And can we augment the signaling by giving back a CNP analog like fosortide and improve growth in those children? And, you know, I think there are probably a lot of those kids out there that haven't yet been diagnosed that fall under that rubric of idiopathic short stature. And could this be a more targeted and effective therapy in those patients? The other two conditions are individuals with Shox gene mutations. And lastly, individuals with a mutation in a gene called agrican. So agrican is a proteoglycan in the extracellular matrix around those chondrocytes in the growth plate and on joint surfaces. It also affects that same signaling pathway. And there's no approved therapy for individuals with agrican gene mutations. Growth hormone has been used off-label in you know, small groups of those patients. Um, and we're trying to see whether vasoratide could be effective in those patients as well. So that begs the question, <laughs> what did you find? Our study was targeted to have 35 patients. Hopefully we'll be fully enrolled soon. The majority of the patients do have hypochondroplasia, so like 26 of them, but we also have three patients with Noonan syndrome and three patients with NPR2 mutations and another two patients with agrican mutations. So we're getting a hint towards those other conditions. The results are still very preliminary mm -hmm. because the way our study is designed is that we start with a six-month observation period to get a baseline growth rate in all of these children since it's a heterogeneous condition in the study. And then we treat them for 12 months with therapy. So kids are progressing through the study now. A few of the patients have completed 12 months of the study, but a lot of them are even still in the observation or in their first six months. But our preliminary data shows that in the kids with hypochondroplasia, they are having an increased growth velocity similar to what was seen in achondroplasia, mm -hmm. perhaps a little bit better, maybe around two-ish centimeters a year extra. But again, that number we need to firm up when we get more patients through the study. But what's been really remarkable is we just have data so far from like four of the patients, two with NPR2 mutations and two with Noonan syndrome, and they're having a remarkably good response to treatment. They're really targeted by this therapy in a very precision medicine approach. And those patients have been growing at eight to 10 centimeters a year, you know, really remarkable growth rates. So that's very encouraging. And we'll have to see 
if that persists at 12 months and, you know, even longer with the patients. It sounds like this might be what you were hoping for when you were performing the research in the first place, but did anything that you found surprise you in any way? It was what I was hoping for, but I really didn't know what to expect, right? Mm -hmm. These are the first patients in the world who have ever been treated with these medications for these conditions, which is pretty cool. And like the families actually really appreciate that. Oh, sure. I expected that it would work to some degree, and I wasn't really expecting the degree of difference between the different groups, you know, that the individuals with Noonan syndrome and NPR2 would respond so much better than the individuals with hypochondroplasia. Now that I see the results, it's not in retrospect that surprising, yeah. but it's been very encouraging to think of that as a really precision medicine therapy that targets those pathways. Again, very small numbers, mm. but I'm excited in the future to try and expand that and see what happens. So it sounds like we're still very early in the process. Very early days. What yes. are some things that you would like to know more to increase our confidence that, you know, Vasorti might be as promising as early indications might seem to say that it might be? So one thing is we need to look past the first year. So with any growth promoting therapy, the first year response is always the best. At least historically, that's been true with growth hormone or IGF-1 therapy. So really, I'll be very interested to see if this growth increase is sustained over multiple years. And thankfully, we recently did get approved by our IRB and by the FDA to continue the study into an extension phase for children who are responding well. So we have started to roll. Some patients have completed the full 18 months of the initial phase of the study. So we do have patients rolling over into that extension phase. And I'll be really curious to see how their growth is in that second year and then hopefully beyond. The safety profile so far has been really very reassuring. But again, there's extremely limited data on long-term mm -hmm. safety since this is such a new medication. So we'll definitely want to keep an eye on that and make sure that we're not causing any unknown skeletal problems or other health concerns in these patients. But so far, thankfully, it's been pretty reassuring. So those are things I'm really looking forward to. The other thing is we're collecting biomarkers for some pharmacodynamic studies in these patients. We're also doing pharmacokinetic studies. I'll show a little bit of that here at the Endocrine Society meeting, but some of that analysis hasn't even started. So excited to look at the biomarker responses and how that corresponds with the clinical variables to see if we can get some insights from the biomarkers about who responds better, you know, and who doesn't. So you know, more to come in the years ahead. Oh, yes, indeed. Again, knowing it's very, very early and as exciting as this is right now and what it might project to be, you know, down the line one day if a sorotide becomes available, is there any reason why that might be a more attractive or unattractive treatment in that space given what we have now? And when that comes in to the fold, <laughs> you know, what's going to make people say, this, this might be better than what I'm currently doing? Is it just the results or is there a burden of other kinds, whether it might be cost or how much time certain therapies might take, things like that. Whenever you're considering a new drug, the two primary things to think about are efficacy and safety. So at some point, we'll need to do a comparison in the efficacy between visoratide and growth hormone, right? To see if where it's acting as a precision therapy is it more efficacious than growth hormone or is it just the same? And the same is also good if growth hormone's working in those conditions. It's good to have multiple yeah. options. But then you come to the safety. 
Now, growth hormone's been around for decades, and I'm not an alarmist in any way. I think in general, it's a very safe medication. There are some real short-term side effects, and there are also some more theoretical concerns, which the data is still, I would say, not too concerning, but raises some possibilities of, are there long-term cardiovascular safety risks, even if they're very small? Are there potentially long-term malignancy risks? That really hasn't borne out, but for certain conditions like Noonan syndrome, you know, or resopathies where there might be a baseline small increased risk of cancers, could a medication like Vesortide allay some of those safety mm-hmm, concerns? Mm-hmm. And we don't know the answers to that yet, but you know, there could be benefits in terms of that. Right now, Vesortide is a daily injection therapy. Growth hormone for those indications is a daily injection therapy. There are long-acting forms of growth hormone developed and approved, you know, so you'll have to start balancing the convenience of a daily shot versus a weekly shot. There are long-acting forms of CNP analogs in development, so maybe that won't, there'll be other options for that in the future as well. So still a lot of unanswered questions, but I think it's a potential for, to be another therapeutic option in the future, which is exciting because we really haven't had any options besides growth hormone therapy for decades. Mm -hmm. It is exciting. And that's why I'm so thankful to have you on the podcast. That is about all the time we have for, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing this exciting new research. It's my pleasure. And thank you again for having me. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Dauber. If you're interested in growth and treatment for short stature, you may be interested in an article from Endocrine News, the magazine from earlier this year. The article is titled, Sex, Race, and Measuring Tape, Health Disparities and Growth Hormone Deficiency. We'll link to it in today's episode description. And we're always on the lookout for topics to feature on the podcast. And if you have one, you can share it with me by emailing your idea to podcast at endocrine.org. Until next time, thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.